All right. Well, welcome again to another Devo with Patrick and Jamie. This is Jamie, and I'm glad that you have decided to spend a little bit of time with us today as we go through God's Word through the Bible. Patrick, how are you doing today? I am doing well. Happy Sunday. I know it doesn't feel like Sunday, but it is. You know, another week has gone by, and we're looking at the Psalms on Sundays. And personally, I think the Psalms are great, but sometimes they are hard to talk about. I don't know why. At some of them, it's just kind of you read it and you're like, hmm, that was a good word. Moving on. Yeah. And the one we're going to look at today, I don't think is really like that, but it is only five verses. And I want to just say like Psalm Psalms that are short are very satisfying to read because you finish it and you're like, ah, I just read a chapter of a book. You know, like yeah. sometimes I'll sit down like today. I sat down to read a chapter of a book and I read it for an hour and a half. This we're going to read the whole chapter in like a, less than a minute. So Psalm 15, one five at the beginning. It's a Psalm of David, five verses. I'm ready. All right. It says this, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent, who may live on your holy mountain, the one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person, but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And just like that, a chapter of the book down. You just read an entire chapter of the Bible. That sounds impressive. But it's five verses. So verse one, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent who may live on your holy mountain i would love to live in the lord's sacred tent that sounds awesome i love camping though so some people (laughs) tend camping they're like uh not for me for me it's like you know take away my house i'll live in a tent that sounds awesome (laughs) you would like that i probably i could probably go like three months living in a tent before i was like okay i'm kind of over this You know, I lived uh, for every week for spring break while I was in high school and two years in college. I lived in a tent for the week in the middle of the desert. And it's spring break, so it's hot. It wasn't like it was cool. You know, some days it would get into the the, uh, upper 90s. And then at night, the winds would come howling through. And uh, sleeping in a tent for that long, it kind of wears on you. I don't know. I don't know how you could do that, Pat. Well, I'm not speaking from experience, so I don't know if I could, but I think the longest I've slept, lived in a tent, was probably about a month, but it wasn't exclusively in a tent. You know, it was a tent outside of my grandparents' cabin, so I could go inside, I could do stuff inside during the day. If the weather was really wild, I could sleep inside. So what doesn't really count, but... We're talking about the Lord's sacred tent and the Psalm starts off with two questions and then it outlines uh, the type of person that would be allowed to dwell in God's sacred tent. So let's like kind of unpack this verse by verse and see, 
see how well we'll, we kind of line up with what's outlined here. Yeah, and let me just kind of go to the beginning of it too because um, there's a couple of things that I think are worth noting even in the first verse. First of all, when it says Lord, it is talking about the specific name of God. Um, so when it says, you know, who's who may dwell in your sacred tent, well, whose sacred tent? It's the specific God of the people of Israel. And um, uh, the name is, is the name that we use is Yahweh. Now, Jewish people... Um, for a long time, still today, depending on, uh, depending on their tradition, don't use the name, God's name. You don't ever say God's actual name. And so, um, typically when reading, you might say, I think Adonai might be the right term to use or a different name. Um, we use the word Lord a lot, uh, as the way that we say the specific name of God, um, but it really is like, if you go back to the original language, it is, it is Yahweh, um, mm-hmm. that we, that we're looking at, which is God's name. So if this is specifically God's tent, this isn't a God's tent or, or just God in general. This is the specific God, um, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and we kind of know about. that because it's the, the all capital lettered Lord, but it's in the smaller font, yes. right? Oh, yes, that's it. right. The NIV does that. And I appreciate it because there's other, there's plenty of other words for Lord and they kind of just get used interchangeably. But it is good to note that we're talking about a specific name of God. Hmm. And it says, who may dwell in your sacred tent, who may live on your holy mountain. Um, the sacred tent, there's like actually is, this is actually like a real thing. I mean, maybe it's metaphorical, but it can also actually be what was called the tabernacle. But before the temple was built, and we know that David didn't build the temple, but before the temple was built, God, um, when they would worship God, they would do so at, at the tabernacle. And it was, it was like a tent. They would basically kind of build up this, this portable, kind of a, think of like portable temple. If you ever get, if you ever get a, uh, a chance, all the, all those of you who are out there, you can look it up on Google even, and maybe see if you can see a picture. There are people who've done, uh, pictures of what the tabernacle, yeah, just look up, look up tabernacle. And then you could even do like a Google image search and you'll get some like old school pictures of stuff. And it's a tent. Like it kind of just looks like a big tent. Uh, and, and and if you look around, you can even find some, find some pictures where there's tents around the tent. So you might even see in scripture, it, sometimes it'll be referred to as the tent of meeting. And so when all of God's people would come together to make sacrifices, to uh, basically go to church, so to speak, or during festival seasons, they would do so at this, this sacred tent. Uh, this holy tent. So, yeah, kind of a cool idea. Yeah. But then it says, who will go uh, on, or who may live on your holy mountain? What exactly could that mean, right? Uh, what is God's holy mountain? Well, we know that that uh, David lives in Jerusalem, or eventually he will live in Jerusalem, which is kind of elevated. And we also know that God has met people on the mountain. So if you think about like Moses climbing up Mount Sinai, uh, or you think about, um, you know, Mount Ararat or Bethel or all these places that are significant mountains that are climbed where people meet with the Lord. Um, 
And if you think about that, <clears throat> we realize that here in scripture, there are some places that are like, have like, I think someone once referred to them as thin places. They're places where it feels like the separation between us and God is less. So for us, that might be like camp, right? Is there are places that are like that, but the question that I think is being asked is like, who's allowed to go there? You mm. know, who's allowed to enter into the temple? Who's allowed to enter into or go up to the holy mountain? And we know like, like when Moses went up the mountain to talk to God, uh, people were not allowed. Right. It was like, it was no, no, you guys stay back. One-on-one experience. Yes. It's just Moses going up. He's the only one who's allowed to. Everyone else, you guys got to stay back. And so here in this uh, in this passage in Psalm 15, the question is being asked, is like, who in the world can approach God? And it's not just approach God. It's the word dwell, right? So like, Live this with. is like, yes. It's interesting, the definition of the actual... Uh, Hebrew word for it is to dwell as an alien and dependent. So if someone's going to dwell in the house of the Lord, it means you're going to be dependent on God. It's not like you're going to be a part of the household. It's like you're living there as uh, someone who's totally dependent on God. It sounds more like a more, it's more intense than like a roommate. You're not, it's not like your buddy yeah. that you're living with. It's, more it's intense like a house than guest that. or something. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of like a permanent house guest. I don't know. Um, a roommate kind of does their own work. This is more like, you know, God is invite. God is gonna invite you in, and you get to be a guest. Uh, but as a guest, you're totally dependent on God. Anyway, that's kind of a another another thought. But it's not like a temporary thing, right? Like, Lord, who may show up? in your sacred tent, who may kind of hang out on your holy mountain. It's who's going to dwell there, stay there for a significant amount of time. Who's going to live, like settle in God's holy mountain. Right. Kind of like that idea. So you think about like back in the day in the tabernacle, in the Holy of of Holies, once a year, the high priest was uh, allowed to go in and to make sacrifices to the Lord into the Holy of Holies. Now, this is someone who's been like cleansed, who's gone through all these processes. This is like the most righteous person in the land they would allow to go in and only once a year. But David is asking a question like, who can actually go in and live with God in God's house? And then he comes up with the answer. Yeah. Yeah. He outlines it in the next four verses. Short and sweet too. I mean, he doesn't, I'm sure, you know, you could write pages and pages, chapters and chapters on specifics and stuff like that. But he kind of just, he hits all the points that I think he feels like are important and they're all right. super good. Verse two, it says the one who walk, whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart. Okay. Like on paper, it's like, that's pretty easy, wow. but I know sometimes I've definitely fallen short. Uh, yeah. Blameless. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, speaking truth from the heart. I've, I've definitely spewed some untruth, not from the heart. Yeah. I mean, you look at that just, just in this verse too, right? The one whose walk is blameless. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the word for blameless, you can even translate as complete or unscathed, intact, without fault, free of, from blemish, impeccable, yeah. um, devout, honest, um, you know, full integrity, complete, like all these words, 
uh, don't l- really leave room for, you know, a couple of mistakes. And, you know, biblically, my my Bible has a reference um, saying that oh, cool. Noah was uh, one of those people that was considered blameless in God's yeah. eyes, uh, lived a blameless life. And Noah was tasked with a huge project, build this huge boat, the ark we've talked about before in a Devo. And you're going to, you're going to like all humanity is going to stem from you basically. Uh, right. And so, you know, we, you know, have ties to that. Uh, I just think that's an interesting connection. You know, who's allowed to come in here? Well, it's someone who's blameless, who's, who's righteous. And then also who speaks the truth from their heart. Now that that's a, that's a difficult thing to do. It's yeah. one thing to speak truth because you know it. It's another thing to speak truth from right from your heart, from your conscience. Like the truth is living in you and it's coming out of you. Right. You kind of have to know it so well that it's your the default of everything that you speak. It's not, you know, you don't get asked a question and formulate the right response the right response is your gut reaction and just completely like kind of spews out. It's like a way deeper understanding of, of truth. And then um, as we keep going here, we see that it's someone whose tongue utters no slander. Now this is a hard one, right? Cause slander is slander is something a lot of us do. And I think we don't even think about it. Like if you think about everything that you do online or every time you've uh, quote unquote thrown shade at someone, <laughs> uh, one way or the other, uh, if you, if you do that at all, that's kind of, I hate to say it, but that's become kind of normal in the, in the day and age of social media. Uh, yeah, I, I can kind of see that, you know, some people they'll do up their images or pick the best ones and kind of post the best of the best, not necessarily for the, the memory later looking back, but for, the reaction of others to kind of maybe brag or um, get a response, stuff like that. Yeah. Or especially when you don't know someone at all, right? That's like on on social media. What's funny is I don't see students doing this as much as as adults. Students are pretty, and just all you young people out there, I've, I've seen this in you guys. You're very careful about saying bad things online because you know it lasts forever. Adults, for some reason, there's some people out there who just real quick to get real feisty online. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, you know, Facebook seems like it's a battleground for people who are just ready to fight about something. You know, um, our, our students don't know what Facebook is. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know they don't. They, they're they like, oh, that's that social media thing grandma uses. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But th- But that's the way it is. You know, some people... They, they don't realize that what they're saying on a social media platform, someone else who is a human is going to read it and might react to it or might be offended or might be sad or hurt or upset. Uh, that's something that is often forgotten that through on the other end of the screen, there's a, a human just like you and me. And I'm wondering, have you ever met someone who never, their tongue has never uttered any slander? They've never done uh, wrong to a neighbor, and they don't cast any slurs on others, right? They're not down-talking anyone. Now, when I, when I think of someone like that, I'm like, that's the kind of person I want to hang out with. 
Yeah. That's the kind of person I want to have as a friend. I don't know if I've ever met that person. You know, Jesus is is kind of the one that <laughs> that matches yeah. that. Or, or, you know, as like it said, Noah, I would have loved to have been Noah's friend. That would have been awesome because yeah. we know he encompasses all of this. I, I think of my dad. And mm. I say that because uh, when my, my dad passed away in January um, after a, about a year battle with cancer and at his memorial service, another pastor was there and, and the pastor gave a eulogy and part of the eulogy, he said, you know, when pastors get together, do you know what we talk about? And everyone in the audience was kind of like, oh no, I'm, you know, maybe they talk about the Bible. Maybe they talk about like church. He said, we talk about you. And he pointed at the congregation. He's like, pastors get together and they talk about the congregation and they give all their complaints they have of, you know, all the people in the congregation who have uh, done them wrong or done the wrong thing, or they're frustrated with people. And he said, but whenever I met with your dad, talking about my dad, he said, he never, not one time did he do that. He wow. would never talk bad about the congregation. And, and I thought, I mean, to me, that was like convicting. I'm like, whoa, like I didn't. And then I started to think about it. And I'm like, you know what? That's true. Whenever I would, I would talk to my dad about people in the church, not one time, not once did I ever hear him get frustrated with a person uh, get angry at someone, talk mm. bad about them. He might say like, oh, this person needs help. Uh, but he never would slur someone or uh, slander them. At wow. least to me, I never heard it. Uh, so that, you know, that jumps out at me yeah. when I think about that. But so it's one thing, like verse three, right? It's one thing to stay away from doing wrong. But verse four, it kind of gets into a different frame here, right? who despises a vile person, but honors those who fear the Lord. So these are active things that this person does. So they despise a vile person. And, you know, a lot of times we are just told like, oh, vile people, just stay away from them. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, just keep them at, you know, a distance. Don't deal with them. Don't work with people who are vile. You know, make sure you have good boundaries, people will say. But here it says, despise them. Right. It actually is telling us in, in, in another way of saying that is to refuse them or to reject them. And so that's like kind of a, an active thing to refuse or to reject or to despise a vile, vile person. And then the other side of that, right, is to honor those who fear the Lord. And that's another active thing to right. hold someone up in high esteem. And, and then, you know, more active stuff after that, who yeah. keeps an oath even when it hurts and well, does not change and does not change their mind. That's, you know, basically saying don't be conditional about the promises you make. That's kind of how I, how I see that, you know, you stick in it, stick whatever, you know, oath or promise you, you made and see it through and don't, don't change your mind. Yeah. Have you ever had to keep a promise even when it hurt? I think I fall short on like uh, not, not changing my mind. You know, I've, mm-hmm. I've, I'll often, often say like, oh, you know, I'm going to do the dishes in the morning. I promise. Or like even for today, <laughs> you know, I said, right. I told uh, my wife, Megan last night we had, we were cleaning our cars and I was too tired to do laundry last night. So I said, oh, just put the towels in the garage and I'll, I'll do laundry in the morning right when I get up. 
and this morning came and went and the, you know, the towels are still out there. So, uh, you know, Uh-oh. that's like kind of change, changing my mind on the oath a little bit, but I also kind of didn't remember. Uh, so I don't know. I think I fall short with the changing the, my mind part more than holding it when it hurts. But I get those, you know, keeping an oath, even when it hurts kind of goes hand in hand with changing your mind. Cause you would change yeah. your mind because it would hurt. To avoid the pain. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when people say, hey, I'm going to do this and they do it, there's just something like powerful in that. Right. Uh, especially, especially if you know it's going to cost them something. And I, you know, I've, I've dealt, I've dealt with, uh, you know, typically it's with people like maybe even in sales and they make a promise, like, I'll give you that car at a certain price, or I'll, I told you I would do whatever they would promise. And you realize that maybe they over-promised something and they can't deliver it. And so they try to deliver it. And some there's people I've worked with who will stand up to the mistake that they made. And they'll say, you know what? I made a mistake. It's actually, you know, I'm going to take a loss and I'm just going to do it. And I appreciate that about them. Um, some people will just run away. Uh, you know, I had a friend who was getting some yard work done in, in his backyard and he was trying to get contractors to come in and get work done. And he had contractors who showed up and he quoted, you know, they quoted a, a quote for him and they would work. And he had, he had three different contractors leave the job without, they just left the job hmm. because they realized, I, this is my guess. They realized that to get the job done, they weren't going to make enough money. And he wasn't going to give them more money because they had quoted a certain price. Mm-hmm. So they just left. They wow. just, they, yeah. And, and that's not what, you know, the person that God is, is allowing to dwell in the sacred tent or live on the holy mountain. That's not the same. Uh, that's not what that person's going to do. They're not going to leave when things get tough. And kind of segueing with money, you know, verse the, the beginning of verse five uh, kind of hits the money, money topic a little bit too, which, you know, I, I've talked to some other Christians and money and what to do with it is a tough topic for some people. And, it is. uh, this kind of is like a really quick and easy outline, you know, lend money to poor without interest, you know, yeah. lend, lend money to them. And don't even like, I see it as like, don't even like try to ask for the repayment, um, to be equal, you know, give them money and say like, this is kind of like a gift, you know, if this is going to yeah. really help yeah. you, do not accept a bribe against the innocent. Uh, wow. Yeah. I mean, two compelling uh, things, arguments that someone who's going to live in the Lord's tent should do. And um, I I know just from talking to people that these things are difficult. They're very difficult, you know, to lend money. And this is a great one. Who lends money to the poor without interest? You know, our... our uh, lending system right now is set up so that you know you have a credit score and you basically are allowed to be lent money based on your ability to pay it back mm-hmm. and so people who have the most money uh and people who have the most income are the people who can borrow the most amount of money easy, easiest right right and the poor people who don't have money are the people who can't borrow money mm-hmm. very well and what ends up happening is poor people are the ones who end up paying the most interest. Right. And how could, th- how could that be? Well, there's things like payday lending where people will, I mean, some of the interest rates on it are ridiculous and people are doing predatory lending practices on the poor. 
Right. And it's in like that kind of stuff we see here, that kind of stuff infuriates the Lord. It makes me mad thinking about it, but it really like, wow, you know, it makes God mad because he's comparing it here too, right? To accepting a bribe against the innocent. Also a crazy idea that, you know, in our culture, we don't think, oh yeah, um, someone's going to pay me money to give false testimony uh, (laughs) against someone. And that's not about whether you're rich or poor. That's just about giving a false testimony based on, on money. Right. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how often that happens in our day and age. We probably don't um, see that as much here, uh, but it does happen. And yeah. so, and I think it it reminds us of the Ten Commandments uh, about giving false testimony. It reminds us of how we as people need to tell the truth. And, you know, David is quoting Exodus twenty two twenty five when he writes this that says, if you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, mm. do not treat it like a business deal. Yeah. Charge no interest. And I think that the throwing the word business in there is what makes yep. it kind of real for me. It's like, oh, you know, if you're a business person would go in trying to uh, increase their business, you know, grow their business. And David in the psalm is saying, that's not the goal. That's not yep. what you need to be doing. And then cool. he wraps up the whole thing by saying, whoever does these things will never be shaken. Boom. Simple. Yeah, you won't be knocked over. Now, here's yeah. what's cool about this whole thing. We look through this list. We see all these crazy qualities. And the person that comes to mind for me is Jesus. Because um, Jesus is someone whose walk was blameless, who did what was righteous. Jesus is someone who spoke the truth from his heart. Uh, Jesus didn't slander people. Jesus did no wrong to the neighbors. Jesus didn't cast slurs on uh, people, even when they made mistakes. Um, Jesus did despise the vile people, the people who were, were taking religion and holding it over people's heads to keep them away from God. But Jesus did honor people who did fear the Lord. He kept oaths even when it hurts. And when I think about that, I think about Jesus going to the cross And Jesus didn't change his mind as he was going to the cross. He kept following it. Jesus didn't have a lot of money, but what he did have, he gave to the poor. And he told others to do the same. And of course, obviously didn't accept any bribes. And ultimately, Jesus was never shaken. That's all the time we have on this Devo. Thank you for tuning in and listening. And uh, you'll hear from us again on Wednesday.